Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. What's going on, everybody? It is 4.15, Friday, February the 14th, 2020, and it's time for another edition, down, another trip down the homeward path. This is the show by me. My name is Adam, and this is the show for those of you who are like me, who magic is not your first priority, but it is a big priority. This is the show for the people who have, have other things going on in their life. Magic is your escape from the rigors of everyday life, and you just want to enjoy the game, but you want to improve, you want to compete with the time, with the financial capital you're able to devote to it. So I had grandiose plans this week of doing an episode with uh, some very special guest co-hosts, but we recorded it and technical difficulties rendered it unusable. So, in an astonishing twist, I am flipping the script, and we are using Kevin McGrath's Patreon episode this week. So, the basic tenets, the basic outline of the episode were written, or at least suggested, by Kevin, and I'm just going to be filling in the blanks. And this is his reward for being a patron of $5 or more per month, is he's getting an episode specifically about what he wants. And that's going to be a two-pronged piece this week. The first, let's get over into the fast lane, let's put our foot down, and let's talk a little bit about the standard format on the eve of the World Championships. And in particular, what we need to consider when analyzing this metagame, because it's really easy to look at the, the metagame article produced by Wizards of the Coast, I can't remember who it is that wrote it. I want to say it was Frank Cardston, but I, you know, for the life of me, I just cannot remember who it was that wrote the article. But um, it's really easy to look at the article and think, "Wow, Teamer is busted." You know, Teamer Reclamation is busted. It's Far and away, easily the best deck because all these, you know, no, it wasn't just the most popular deck in the room. It's the most popular deck against the most, like, really easily well-recognized professional players. It's a monstrosity. It has this, this like, collection of really powerful magic cards and this unbeatable top end where if you, if you try to stretch the game out really long, they can just fry you to death out of nowhere with a giant explosion. But the article itself makes a point of telling you why we don't need to consider that. This world's metagame is a grand total of 16 players. So while Teamer is absolutely one of the better deck choices for worlds, it may not be necessarily the best choice for your local metagame. It's very important to keep that in mind. Because... When the as tournament fields get smaller and the skill level of the players participating goes through the roof, 
a compounding effect tends to gravitate those players towards just playing something powerful. And what I mean by that is like all of the decks that are, that are heavily played in standard are powerful, but you look for the one that has the highest power ceiling. And in the case of Team of Reclamation, you have, uh, you have two obscenely powerful lanes that you can lean on. The first is Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath, which is just unbelievably good at, at stretching the game out, at being this, this big, massive monstrosity of a creature in, on the battlefield. It's very difficult to remove permanently. You know, the, the cards that can reliably do it you, it requires multiples. You end up having to you end up having to buy into some amount of graveyard hate. Like the cards that are good against Uro are not good against the rest of your deck, which is what makes Uro such an appealing option for the Team of Reclamation deck. Like if your opponent's going to play the game of I'm never going to let you resolve Wilderness Reclamation. Uh, you can you can dig and draw to your heart's content. I'm never going to let you resolve Wilderness Reclamation. You may as well forget it. Well, just forget it. Jam Uro. You can jam your stuff into you know jam your stuff into mana. Play your Thassa's interventions to dig. Use your Thassa's interventions to fight counter spell battles against the cards that are countering your Uro, and just six six them to death. Oh wait, they took a turn off to remove it. Great. Here's Wilderness Reclamation. Here's expansion explosion. You're dead. Like the power ceiling on Teamer Reclamation is really high because, like other decks with a combo finish in the past in standard, it forces the opponent to play a certain way in order to not get blown up by the combo. And if they do, the little incremental things you do can snowball very easily unless they let the shields down for the combo. It, creates this weird kind of catch-22 that your opponent has to consider basically all the time. The second most popular deck for the World Tournament metagame is Mono Red Aggro, which is a natural foil to the Teamer Reclamation and the uh, White-Blue Control decks that are being played because it does the thing that I love when, you know, you're looking at a... At a tournament format a format that has not been heavily played at the at the premier level and that is it asks the most important the burning question at the front of everybody's minds how well built is my deck because if it can't beat mono red reliably or if it doesn't have a viable plan against mono red to where it can make the matchup like somewhere in the ballpark of close to even, it's probably not very well built. And Mono Red got some new tools from Theros. Anax, Hardened in the Forge, is very powerful in the deck. Uh, just really, really powerful. I mean, an Anax on the table, your opponent casts a Storm's Wrath, and you get a bunch of Seder tokens. And you get to apply pressure back. Uh, Anax on on chump. You can chump attack with Anax on the table. Like chump attack with a scorch spitter for value. 
swing everybody in. Opponent decides to take the value play, but it doesn't matter because you still have one ones on the table afterward. You know, it, it makes being aggressive against the kinds of things that are normally good against mono red not as good against mono red. <laughs> unless, they're, uh, unless their exact plan is playing a lot of lifelinking creatures, but even then, mono red's also an ember cleave deck. <laughs> so, like, what are you going to do? The third most popular deck would be Blue-White Control. Uh, piloted by, most notably, Andrei Strasky and Paulo Vitor Dama de Rosa. White-Blue Control has had a little bit of a renaissance of late. I don't know how high I am on White-Blue Control, if I'm being honest. Part of it is just my natural biases. I mean, I just did an episode not that long ago about how bad white decks are. And this is firmly a white-blue control deck, much more than it is a blue-white control deck. Uh, playing cards like Elspeth Conquers Death, uh, the Birth of Miletus, you are looking to stall the game out in the early turns, not tempo the game for a few turns until you can start slamming powerful things. It's a control deck that is designed to build with synergy to the battlefield, uh, Arcana, not, is it Order of Sun's Grace? I can't, I, life of me, I can't remember what it is. Arcana of Sun's Grace, the the Constellation one anyway, the, the four drop that makes a 2-2 flyer every time you play an enchantment. Plays nicely alongside cards like Elspeth Conquers Death, The Birth of Miletus, Omen of the Sea. And then playing all these enchantments for that also plays well with Thirst for Meaning, turning it into a hard two-for-one every time you cast it just about the one thing i would say like personally and this is just me this is definitely almost certainly not correct but I, there's a part of me that says i gotta try to play one dance of the mance at least one dance of the mance because if i'm gonna play that many enchantments and especially the sagas that generate that kind of value anyway there's a no small part of me that wants to be able to you know, my sagas do their thing. I discard a couple of them to uh, to thirst for meaning, and then we just dance of the mance back and have lethal on the table. Like it creates that almost like a combo finishing or white blue control deck. So it's definitely an appealing strategy to me, which is honestly not something I would have said out loud or in my head or at all before Theros released. And then bringing up the bottom of the pile, again, small field, they're more concerned with making sure they're well-positioned against each other than they are being well-positioned against, let's say, the arena metagame. Bringing up the rear there with a grand total of one pilot is John Sacrifice, which Piotr Glagowski is running back because it was has been so kind to him this year. It's the only thing I can think of. It's not a deck that is designed for the competition that he's going into, except for the mono-red opponents. It's very good against the mono-red opponents, but I don't know how good it is against Team Reclamation. Although I guess, you know, if you get rolling early, you can get something down like a... Oh, what is it? You can get something down like a, um, a Lovestruck Beast after sideboard, 
And if their entire game plan against your creatures hinges on Storm's Wrath to clean everything up at once, and then you can just bring back a Cauldron Familiar to allow your Lovestruck Beast to attack, like it can be a difficult life for your opponent if they're not sideboarding correctly. And, you know, if you're, if you're playing Questing Beast, if you're playing, you know... Glagowski has proven that he is someone who is very competent with this deck. Unbelievably so. So I would not count him out, even though it looks like he is a dog against the field. I'm going to be pulling for him because it's the deck I just got into in paper. So I, you know, I, I'm rooting for him. Even though Seth Manfield network, you know, it, it is our, our CC guy. You know, used to be one of the, the co-hosts for Constructive Criticism. Seems to be a real stand-up guy. Like him a lot. Loved all his insights when he was a, when he was a part of the network. I, I had to go with my gut when I had to choose my arena champion. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Weather in Tennessee has not been kind to me this week, let me tell you. We've gone from 60, 60 degrees on Monday. It was like 55, 56 degrees on Tuesday. And then it was... 40 degrees Wednesday and Thursday, and then this morning it was 18 and snowing. So I think I've experienced all four seasons in one week, and my body does not know how to deal with this. That's why my voice is the way it is. But I'm soldiering through it just for you, and while we're talking about that, let's go ahead and slide over into the slow lane, and let's talk about the main thing Kevin wanted to talk about. The the I, I can't pull up the exact wording because I am in the process of driving home from picking up my son's birthday cake. But the gist of what Kevin was saying is what can we do as non-content creators to help our magic communities? And this is going to sound really disingenuous coming from me. I mean, if I'm being honest, it like it's going to feel like I'm talking out my backside here. But I've been in that boat before. And, you know, this last episode I did with Brian was a really good kind of encapsulation of some of the things we've done in that vein over the years. But even still, there are three key facets I would say are crucial to improving your local magic community. And that is availability enthusiasm and consistency availability enthusiasm and consistency availability doesn't just mean being at the at whatever that community is it means if like mine your local game store has a social media presence may not be much of one but in our case it's a Facebook group if there's questions asked be part of the group of people that answers them. Drive conversation between the members of your community. Create familiarity between the members of your community. Because that is one of the easiest ways to build up the relationships in your community. Is just talk. Be a part of the conversation. 
it was something that I did really regularly. I've, I've tried to do really regularly here since I moved back and am going to Goose's. But even before when I was, we were doing the thing in North Dakota, we were trying to build that thing up. I was a lot more physically present at that store because, I mean, we didn't have a social media presence at the time. Facebook was still a fairly new thing. It was still not a thing a lot of people were interested in. It was definitely not something most businesses were interested in. And then it was just a whole different animal. Once we started, you know, we, we had a lot of new players coming in. And that meant answering a lot of questions. That meant helping people build decks. That meant, and that only happens, those people only stick around if there's somebody there that is willing and able to be there to help them. Whether it's physically being there in person or just talking to them. Whether it's a phone call or a messenger thread or whatever, right? It's really easy to get frustrated with newer players because this a lot of this stuff feels like it's stuff that everybody should know because you've been doing it for so long. But I always have to think back to the people that helped me when I didn't know what I was doing. And there were a handful of them early on that were extremely helpful. And three in particular, one of them I'm still very, very close friends with. We don't talk as often as we should, mind you, but I still, we still talk often. We still get together every now and then, you know, he was, he was present, he was available and he was, he was helpful. And that's really for me, step one in the process is being available. Anytime I have a question, I send a message to Matt about something, we're going to have a conversation about it. He's like, without fail, if I send a message to Matt within a couple of days, I'm going to get a phone call. We're probably going to try to have a two-hour conversation about something. And that's just the, that's just the reality of the situation, right? That's somebody who's available. So I try to emulate that as best I can in my interactions with my local community. Even well before this show had anything to do with anything. Well before this show was a twinkle in the back of my head. That was something I tried to do. Reach out to people who are trying to learn. Help the people who are asking questions. Make suggestions. Offer feedback. Be constructive. Build people up. That starts with being available. Starts with being, it starts with being willing and ready to answer those questions, to, to give that advice in a constructive manner. The second important facet of building up a local community is enthusiasm. Because frankly, people can tell when you're lying through your teeth and you hate something. I have met many, many magic players over the years who were doing it because being good at it could get them, could, could make them money. And you can tell when somebody's heart's not in something. Don't be that person. 
be the person that that you know somebody comes in and goes hey hey that thing you told me about that that thing we were talking about it worked you want them to be able to see the excitement on your face or read the excitement in your messages Nobody has, has embodied that more than the co-host I had last week in Brian Canada. It doesn't matter how long it's been since I've seen him. If I mention two cards together that, that do a thing when they're put together and he's never seen it before, even if we're just messaging back and forth, I can still see the grins. I can still see the, the grin split across his face. I know he's going to be excited. The, the basis behind being enthusiastic, being passionate, being driven to, to improve the experience of playing Magic is the best way I can describe that. Is, as Brian put it, when Frontier first became a format, and there was a lot of discourse about, oh, this store shouldn't do Frontier, we should... No, Frontier's a bad format. It's just going to not be around for very long. Let's just, we don't need that in here. A lot of the discourse on the web was that. And Brian says, no, no, you know, Frontier, I'm cool with it. Because it just gets more people playing Magic. Every person that puts down their cards is one less person I get to play a game of Magic with. Every person that decides to sell their collection is one less person I get to trade with and watch their eyes light up when they get that card they've been chasing after. So I want to be available to answer questions. I want to be, you know, in, you know, a, a resource for the players that are coming in. And I also want them to look forward to doing that with me. And in order to do that, I have to be, I have to be bought into the game. I have to be bought into the community. And if I'm not, I don't need to be there. If I'm going through a burnout period, I don't go play. Because if I'm not having fun, nobody else is going to have fun. And I know that about myself. So I don't want to ruin someone else's experience by being a sourpuss, for lack of a better term. And I've already forgotten what the third thing I was talking about was. That's horrible. Because I think I kind of messed, I meshed it in with the other two. But be available and be enthusiastic. And be constructive. I think that's, you know, be, be someone who builds others up. It is really, really easy to look at a new player and say, oh, your deck is awful. Your deck is bad. You need to take that card out. It's, it, nobody's playing that. Don't do that. That is not where you lead off. That's not your lead off punch. You don't lead with the knockout. You don't lead with the behavior that's going to make them quit. 
You don't lead with the behavior that's going to make them find another store. You lead with, okay, let me see that deck and let me see if we can figure out how to make, or, you know, uh, have you been having issues with it? What's been the problem? How many lands are you playing? Um, what are, how, what are we building towards? You ask the questions you ask yourself if you were building a deck, right? Just ask them those questions. That's a constructive way to help them fix the problem. Not, oh, just don't play that, play this. Don't, don't be that guy. Don't be that person. It's bad and you should feel bad is not a way to be at the local level. I've had many, many interactions with those kinds of people. And the only reason I continued to play magic after dealing with them is because I have a horrible complex where I feel the need to prove people wrong. But it made me a very difficult person to play against for a long time because I was so driven to be better than the people who were telling me I was bad. I wanted to beat them and not just beat them, but beat them with what they told me wouldn't work. And it hindered my growth as a magic player as a result because of the interactions I was having with people. Had one of them said, okay, let's, let's see what we can do with this. Let's push it as far as we can and let's try it again. And if it doesn't work, let's maybe try to move on to something else. You know, why do you have so many cards that cost three mana? Is a better thing, is a better thing, a, a better point to make than, well, all the, like, this and this are awful. You don't need to play those. That's, that's not where you start. You start with, well, we're playing like 14 three drops. Are you sure you want to do that? On, on 21 lands? Are you sure you want to do that? Why are you playing, why are you playing this? Oh, that's what it's for? Okay. Um, how can we work around to, to incorporate this? How can we, are you playing this card? Are you, you know, ask the questions you would of any enfranchised player to a newer player. And they'll realize those are the questions they need to be asking themselves to save time later. That's being supportive. So we're being available, enthusiastic, and supportive to each other. And those, I think, are the three most important factors when it comes to building up a local community. So at the end of the day, that's the best advice I can give you. That is, that's the number one thing I want you to take away from this, especially, you know, if you like me are in a community that sometimes feels like it's, it's not doing as well as you think it could. You don't go in that. You don't start shunning the store. You don't start hating it. You go as you go as often as you can. You want to let them know that this, this person's here. This person's ready. This person wants to be here wants you to be here. And they realize that when they see you sitting there, when they see you, you know, not literally, but metaphorically grabbing that thing by, but with two hands and trying to pull it up 
throwing it on your back and carrying it if you have to. You know, I, for a long time, I would carry, I, I would, I would run four or five different standard decks so that if I went to a standard FNM, I had decks to supply people that just came in off the street and said, Hey, I want to play. What are we playing? Oh, I don't have a standard deck. I can't play. Oh, I got you. I got you covered. Here's what it does. Now we're playing more Pioneer, so it's difficult to do that, but it's still something I'm looking to do. Be able to field enough decks to supply several people just so we have the ability to get more people in the door. You know, especially if, like myself, you are steadily finding yourself into a surplus of cards anyway, maybe be willing to part with one. Maybe be willing to, you know, take a little bit of a hometown discount, just a hometown discount, just to make sure somebody gets to keep playing the game. Give of yourself is the best advice I can give as to how to help build a community without the the direct contribution of something like what I'm doing right now, which is, you know, the content creation. Fun fact, I actually started this as an effort to give of myself when I knew I wasn't going to be able to be there as often as I wanted. I said, I don't get to get to the shop as often as I want to, but I love talking about magic with everybody here. How interested would you all be if I started just recording my thoughts as I had them and then putting them on the internet and then the, the local response was overwhelming. So that's why I started doing this. If it weren't for having that desire to get in there and do something positive for that, for my local magic community, I never would have started the show in the first place. That definitely would never have ended up where it is now. So at the end of the day, that's what it's about. And that's all I've got for this week. Thanks again, Kevin, for the idea. Uh, I hope you enjoyed your patron episode. Uh, the rest of you that are patrons of $5 or more per month, remember, if you've got a topic you want hit on, let me know. Send it. I owe you each an episode. So we need to talk about it. And while we're talking about it, don't forget to you know head over to our sponsor, puremtgo.com. It's a wellspring of fantastic magic content on the web. I can't recommend it highly enough. And it's not just because they're our sponsor. But if you want to, if you want to help me out directly, you want to support the show directly, you can head over to patreon.com slash homerpathmtg, become a patron. Show's always going to be free. Every piece of content I do is always going to be free. But if you like what we're doing enough to help me keep doing it, Send it over. I'll put it to good use. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. And since we're doing such a kind of heavy-handed episode, kind of a you know deep thought, deep think tank kind of episode, and because I selfishly want to save them for next week when we make the uh, the return attempt with the guest co-hosts. We are not going to be doing any MTG dad jokes this week. So with that in mind, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Homeward Path MTG. On Facebook, my name is Adam Spain. Uh, we have a Facebook group for the show, the Homeward Pathfinders. If you're a patron of a dollar or more a month, you also gain access to the Patron Pathfinders Discord. If you're a patron of $3 or more a month, you gain access to having your deck bumped to the front of the line for writing in cards with cards. 
the companion video series on YouTube where I'm talking about a deck on the way home, or I'm talking about cards, single card strategies, or I'm talking, you know, whatever idea you have for that. It's applying the lessons that we're learning in this show. That's the idea behind writing in cards. So, you know, those of you who are patrons of $5 a month, if you've got a topic you want covered and a deck you want covered, I'll do both in the same week. That's fine. That's what I want. So that's all I've got for this week, everybody. Again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We will be back next week with two very special guest co-hosts. Uh, Riding in Cars will be up Monday in some form or fashion. Uh, more than likely, I will be talking about where I am personally. I may not actually be in the car when I record it, but I will be talking about where I am personally with the Magic Collection and like the, the actual card-related projects I'm working on. But for now, it's time to cut off the engine, and let's head in the house. We'll catch you later.